0: So, John 6, if you have it, John 6, verse um, 28, 29. Here's what it says really fascinating stuff. It says, Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? What shall we do that we may work the works of God? And so, this is obviously a, 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 a great question. And in the Hebraic culture, it's common to ask questions. They would go back and forth on asking questions. I think we need more of that in the body of Christ, of discussing things, of reasoning things, but here's the answer. What, what's fascinating is m- much of the world system and much, most of us in this room have been trained to be outside in people, meaning that whatever you see on the outside, whatever, um, whatever you can see, feel, or touch defines how you behave, you know, like if classic example or an easy example is if they're going to pay me less at work, then I'm going to give less than what I've been given outside. Um, If I'm told I have a particular disease, then I should fear because that, that disease is deadly. So we're taught to think outside in. And the reason why this is important is because in the kingdom of God, and you and I hope, hopefully, we'll look at it today. In the kingdom of God, it is inside out. Now, here's the good news for every person in this room. How many people are in Christ? This is where it gets really, really good. And that's another thing. The longer you walk with God, the longer you realize it's really, really good news. Like. I know you do have to make a choice, and yes, it is a narrow way, and the and your your faith in God it cannot be determined by what you think about God. And what I mean by that, a lot of people are way okay, like Jesus was a prophet, he did miracles, I believe all that, but they want to bring their own belief system to him and, and, and add Jesus as part of them. So now you have really perverted stuff happening in our culture, like I love Jesus, but Jesus also loves me and this other man living together. Biblical faith can only be based on God's revelation of himself. So that's really important. So it is a narrow way, but in that narrow way is really, really good news. Like some people are like, oh, it's tough following Jesus. No, it's tough doing things on your own. Right. <laughs> It's tough trying to figure out how you're going to do this. It's tough. Try- I mean, that's what's hard, you know. It's tough waking up with a hangover. It's tough wondering if you have a disease because you don't even know who you just did stuff with. That's tough. <laughs> and then the worst thing is, when you live for the devil, you die. In Jesus, you live forever. Whosoever believes me, though he dies, yet he will live. He's consumed with life. And Jesus answered and said to him, this is the work of God that you believe, and also you can interchange that, that you have faith in him whom he sent. So Jesus tells us, and obviously James goes into more extensive, uh, uh, in, jo- in James 2, where he says, basically faith without works is dead. And he says, "Show you know, my faith is a demonstration, or my works are a demonstration that I have faith. But Jesus actually tells us, that our belief system, and you can't see a belief system, our belief system determines our behavior. Your belief system determines your behavior. You know? It, it, and it, I, I, like to, I like to use this kind of measure. It's like, what's the first thing you think of about a particular situation? What's, the, you know, I was, I was in New York last week, so that was an easy one. It's like, what's the first thing you think of When someone cuts you off, do you bless them or do you, you know, anyway. So here's something interesting, though, that that I've learned just, I mean, just easy, and it's this. It's that everyone has a worldview and belief system. And worldview is this. It's a comprehensive conception or apprehension of the world from a specific standpoint. It represents, uh, it, it, it's not just a physical view of the world, but it represents a philosophical view, an all-encompassing perspective on everything that exists. It's also a really big point. Everyone, whether they actually intentionally un, uh, are cognizant of it, everyone has a belief system. You know, the person down the street, your neighbor, the way, the, it, basically worldview is the lens or the glasses by which you view life through Everyone has, everyone in this room, you have a way that you think about relationships, you have a way that you think about finances, you have a way that you think about leadership. You have, you, you have these viewpoints. You whether you've internalized it or not, you have them and they determine how you behave. And so that's, uh, touch on a minute, but that's why it's really important to deal with the hurts in life because if not, you view everything through the lens of a hurt. So your worldview is basically your lens in life. A person's worldview represents the most fundamental beliefs and assumptions about the universe he inhabits. It reflects how he or she would answer all the big questions of human existence, fundamental questions about who and what we are. That's also a really big deal. Where we came from, why we're here, and where we're headed, the meaning and purpose of life, the nature of the afterlife, what counts as good here and not. Few people think through these issues in depth, but few still have firm answers of such questions, but a person's worldview will incline him towards certain answers. So I want to look tonight at, um, and often we'll do this, and, and obviously I'm not going to uh, finish tonight. That's why I like to have uh, multiple sessions to develop things, but I want to look at what a biblical worldview looks like, and you got to start in the beginning. It, to understand God, you really got to look at Genesis 1, 2, and 3 over and over, 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 over again. You, it, and you cannot understand the reason for Jesus unless you see Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Because everything, at, the more I, I read over and over again the more I develop this appreciation for this man God called Jesus. But Genesis 1, uh, Genesis 1, when time began, God created the heavens and the earth. Notice there that heaven is a created place, and what you'll also notice is when time began, heaven is the place that God chooses to set up his headquarters, Psalm says this, Psalm 11, verse 4. The Lord is in his holy temple and the Lord's throne is in heaven. The Lord's throne is in heaven. So Mark, where is God? Okay. We just read it. Just making sure. (laughs) The reason I say it, so the Lord chooses to live in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids and test the sons of man. Here's some characteristics of heaven. We just said number one. God sets up his headquarters in heaven. God has a throne in heaven. Kings have thrones. So notice, his kingdom is set up in heaven. In heaven, everyone's whole. In heaven, everyone prospers. In heaven, there is no worry, fear, or pain. Now, here's a big part about heaven. In heaven, when the king says something, it's going to happen. The reason I say that is because I've been thinking about this concept, too a lot of evangelicals are very, very excited to get to heaven. They might be disappointed or they might not make it because in heaven, what God says goes. So if you're not obeying God on earth, you might not like heaven. Like, I can't wait to get to heaven. Well, no, you're going to have a little, like, like, what are you going to do? Like, I don't like this, I'm leaving. (laughs) I don't like what you're saying, God. Who's this leader you put in front of them, you know? You're going to have some trouble. Like, there's no voting in heaven. There's no church splits in heaven. In heaven, the future of the subjects is secure through the provision of the king. What does that mean? No one in heaven's going, how are we going to make it tomorrow? In heaven, all are faithful and loyal subjects of King Jesus by their own free choice. In heaven, there's no injustice, racism, sickness, disease, or destruction. In heaven, worship takes place 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Some believers are going to have to go to Bible college when they get to heaven. They're like, our pastor only did 20 minutes of worship. (laughs) Don't worry, he'll be in the class with you. (laughs) Now, what we'll see is God desired the earth to look like heaven, but he gave humanity the privilege of being his representative on the earth. And now, here, here's a key point about creation. God does not create something out of nothing. He creates things from his words. Really, really, wheely, really, wheely, really, really important. And God is not arbitrary. So how does, he, how does he create the world? He speaks it, and we know that... He doesn't just say it once, God spoke and it happens. The word of God was intended to govern the world. His word is so powerful, he says he exalts his word above his name. That means his word goes above his reputation and then you have the crown jewel of his creation which lays out a whole lot of our understanding of how God's going to relate to man. So if you want to look there, Genesis 1 verse 26. Genesis 1, verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over all the cattle, over all the earth. Notice, if you're following along with me, verse 26 is let them and over all the earth. That's going to play a key part in a minute. Over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, Male and female, he created them. So one of the reasons I believe that the enemy is attacking the role of male and female is because the role of male and female is the foundation for healthy families, healthy societies, and healthy nations. You know, if, I, if, if I'm a, a man and I feel like a woman... It distorts the nature of God on the inside of you and distorts society. Do we have, do we have uh, of course, we, we love people through that, but we don't accept how they feel. <laughs> then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, see, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, every tree whose fruit, fruit yields seed to it shall be food. And to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, to everything that creeps on the earth in which are of life, I have given every herb for food, and it was so. So let's look at some characteristics we can look at a lot, but I think these really help us. Number one, in verse 26, we see that man is made in the image of God image is likeness modeled pattern resemblance after humanity was supposed to be the closest thing to god on the planet to see adam was to see god before the fall when you saw adam you saw what god wanted to do adam was created as god's representative I was just in, um, last month, I was in, the beginning of July, I was in London. I went on this tour. I'm getting to be a little better tourist. I'm not really good, but I'm getting better. So I found this bike tour. And I'm on this tour, and we stopped at a particular place. And in this place, I looked over to the left. We're like in this circle in the middle of the city. And there's this Canadian embassy. And it was really nice, too. When you step on one part of the property, you're in the UK. You step into the beginning of that embassy, you, even though you are in the middle of London, you are on Canadian property. If you read the rest of Genesis 1, you will see that there's gold and onyx in the Garden of Eden. So part of heaven is on the earth even in the garden. But the point of that is, when you go to this embassy, it is considered territory of Canada, and they have what you call a diplomat. And in the, you know, the, 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 the Jets owner, he's taking off some time off, and he's over there as an ambassador, Trump appointed him. Not that that makes sense, I don't know why I'm telling you that, but because I'm a Jet fan. But, um, when you go to this embassy, the Canadian government pays for everything, and the Canadian government is responsible for that diplomat, and the job of that diplomat is to represent the Canadian interest in the UK, and the, 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 the job of that diplomat is not to tell his opinion. Can you figure out why that's popping? Uh, is not to tell his opinion. The opinion... Of that, uh, the, when you talk to a diplomat, if he's operating properly, they, well, they ask him, hey, what does your country think about this? And he says, the, he, he, will, he will always say, the, sorry, I'm out loud here. The position of my country is this. He never ever, give, he or she never gives their opinion. And they are representing the interest of their nation. That's what Adam was supposed to do. He is representing the interest of the king who sets up his throne in heaven. And what you'll see here in a minute, though, like a diplomat, when that diplomat goes over there, he gets a salary, he gets a car, that diplomat never worries about how they're going to be taken care of. Everything is taken care of by the sending government. Second part, if you're looking at verse 26, it says, let them and over all the earth. This is really, really important. Notice, God doesn't say, let us have dominion. He says, let them have dominion. Let them and over all the earth. Two big things that you'll see here. Let them, he doesn't say, let us. He says, let them. And then he says, over all the earth. So who's over all the earth, Roberta? Who's over all the earth? Okay. It's, I know it's a little late. Okay. <laughs> the other thing you'll notice in verse 29 is also exceedingly important. Man was not created to take care of himself. In fact, you'll see even the animals have everything that they need in that earth. The animals have everything that they need. So there's two things that you need to notice here. Maybe the... Back to Genesis 1. He says, let them and over all the earth. So, Roberta, who's in charge of the earth? We are. So God gives man the earth as a gift, but as his representative. Verse 29 is also important, though. If you read it, you will see there two really, really, really important things is this. Man's not created to take care of himself, but man has been given the earth as a he's been given the earth as a gift from God. So why is that so important? It's important on this level that man's not created to take care of himself, but for man to receive from God, he's going to have to trust God for everything that he needs but God's only connection to the earth now is if man will trust him. That's why he tells us, how do you do the works of God? You gotta believe. Verse 28, he blesses him. Now this is where it even gets good. It's the favor of God bestowed by God. The blessing includes good, vitality, Health, longevity, fertility, uh, happiness, invoking God's favor. The blessing is not just a positive sentiment. I know it's been really, really reduced, especially in Southern culture. I oh, bless you. And people don't even know what they're saying. It's much more than that. The blessing is the power of God to bring that blessing to past. The blessing is this. God going to Abraham... Everything that I am is upon you to live life, to be wonderful, and the life that I intend for you is way beyond anything you could ask or think. That's what the blessing of the Lord is. And here's, here's where it gets even better. In the garden, pretty good. Larry, you think it was pretty good in the garden? <laughs> it's perfect in the garden. You can't get version 2.0 in the garden. But it was just the beginning. God's plan was live forever, glory to glory. It's going to even get better than this. That was just the starting place. You know what's amazing? That's the starting place, but that's the place we're just hoping to get to today. But it's just the starting place. That's why he says it's be above and beyond what you could ask or think. Now, verse 28 is also really important. And God said to them, so what is, how does Adam know what to do? The voice of God. The voice of God. The first voice that Adam ever hears is the voice of God. That's why the enemy And all these religious devils love for people to say things so contrary to that as believers. I I just can't hear the voice of God. It's very difficult. I'm just losing my mind. I just just, just don't know what they're going to (laughs) do. He loves that stuff. He loves for you to talk like the world because you're actually talking away your inheritance. And he said to them, So how does Adam know what to do? God spoke to him. So you'll see this pattern. I know we've looked at it before, but it it bears repeating. You'll see this pattern. Genesis 1, God speaks, God speaks. God's going, hey, I'm setting up throne in heaven. I'm putting you here on earth, but you're my representative of heaven on earth. So make the earth look like heaven. And I started, started you off pretty good. Also notice in Genesis 2 verse 7, He puts man in a garden, but he doesn't put man in the garden. He doesn't allow those trees to grow until he puts man in the garden. So a key part of Adam doing what God had called him to do on the earth was management, stewardship. This has become really key over the last few months of my life, that I'm learning not to ask God beyond my place of management. If I'm not managing well, why am I going to ask God for increase? Genesis 2, verse 19 and 20. Mm -hmm. Out of the ground, the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them. Notice he says every beast of the field and every bird of the air. The reason I'm saying that is because guess who's included? The snake. Adam was over that snake. Adam named that snake. You were created to have dominion over these things. And so Adam gave names to all the cattle, all, to all the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helpable comparable to him. Now, verse 20 is really important to me because you'll see the power of that word operating in the earth. God Adam is speaking God's word to name those animals. I believe when those animals here when the cat was a little confused Adam was a little confused by the cat, we're, we're definitely all in agreement on that that he probably thought like this thing looks demonic, but you know I, God says it's his, so I just be, just just let it be a blessing, you know <laughs> We'll work with all the cat people in this room. <laughs> When Adam names those animals, and biblically speaking, when you name something, you actually uh, define its characteristics. That's why every person in this room, you should know what your name means. Because it actually is prophesying to you. I don't care if both your parents were, you know, didn't even like each other when they conceived you. Somehow God was working it to name you. I believe that's why God changed people's names in scripture. He's like, oh, they got that one wrong. <laughs> Do you know, it was Jesus who, who, who named Peter, Peter. He was Simon before that. Changed his name. He said, they called you the wrong name, brother. They were prophesying to you the wrong thing. But when he names those animals, I don't believe those animals know the difference between God and Adam. All they know is I'm supposed to follow that voice. Now, here's also what's important to look at here. Adam was given a brilliant mind at creation. What kind of a mind is able to name every one of the animals? Now, also think about this. Adam did not go to Auburn or Alabama and get a degree in naming those animals. What qualified Adam to name those animals? The voice of God who said, have dominion over the earth. Here's the other thing. Adam is not being governed by what is on the outside. His knowledge is coming from God. He's not not bound by logic, reason, human, human, human philosophy. Everything that he's getting is from God and it's coming from inside of here. So what is on the inside of Adam is speaking the word of God and creating the reality that he intends it to be. What is Adam doing? He is doing what God did in Genesis 1. He is calling things that be not as though they are. Here's another thing that Adam had. It's also really, really important. The other thing that Adam had was this. He did not know evil. Adam had no conception of sin, darkness, or evil. The reason I'm saying that is because I believe that we're in a season of time where you don't want to mess with anything evil. And the other thing is God wants to completely heal the body of Christ of all deficiencies, all defects that would keep us from entertaining any sort of evil and healing us right now. The Lord began to teach me about this uh, or he opened it up a little more in um, the fall. I was getting ready to teach on a whole day thing on faith and he, he, he just said, Adam had a pure mind. Adam didn't know what evil was. I said, well, he always gives me an example sometimes from my upbringing or something that I went to. He reminded me of um, my mom. My mom is one of 12. She grew up. My dad, uh, excuse me, my grandfather was a Pentecostal preacher. She's not perfect. But my mom has no conception of certain things in this world. And I remember, I think I was eight or nine years old. And I remember it was in the kitchen, and my mom looked at my dad and she said, Oh, isn't it nice? These two guys in the neighborhood, isn't it nice that so and so, I don't remember their name, isn't it nice that they're living together and waiting for their wives together? <laughs> and even at eight or nine, you know, you still got discernment working. You're going, I don't think they're believing God for their spouses. <laughs> And we're laughing, but in my mother's mind, it would never occur to her that two men would live together and be more than friends. Leave it there. And I want to say to you, one of the gifts that God gives us, I don't care what you've walked through, I don't care what you've seen, is he wants to bring us back into a place of innocence in our minds. That's how powerful the cross of Jesus is. And we know here comes the enemy in the form of a snake. Instead of, and this is also really important, you'll find how does Adam know what to do? Voice of God. How does he sin? He listens to the wrong voice. I have come to observe that the most predominant voice that we listen to will define our destiny. Here's another really important point. Fruitfulness and walking out your destiny in the kingdom of God is not an accident. There's, I don't know how, it's not quite said, but sometimes we just kind of think, Oh, God's hands, you know, God's hands really on Lee to do that business. And it is. But it's also a series of choices that are agreeing with the purpose of God. Or this guy, you know, God's really elevating him. And I'm not saying things happen overnight. It's not what I'm saying. But the result of your destiny is not an accident. I was listening to, um, I mean, it's a beautiful thing when somebody's in heaven, but I'm still listening to it. I was listening to uh, a teaching by Miles Monroe about a week ago. I don't know, last week. I've listened to it over and over again. It was just really good. And he said, when I was 15 years old, I decided I wanted to change the world. Or, no, no, I wanted to be spiritually mature. So this is what I decided. I decided I would read the Bible. I would read the Bible through once a year, every year. And he said, I wasn't so concerned about learning because I read this verse that says he would bring all things to my remembrance. And he goes, every year I would buy a new Bible because I wanted to get a French insight. He goes, the other thing I decided was that I would fast at least 40 days a year, every year. And so he said, at least some point during the year, I would at least fast 14 days or 10 days or something, I, or I think it was 21 days a year. He goes, by the end of the year, I had fasted 40 days. The other thing I decided was, he said, I was going to pray at least one hour a day. And then he said, the other thing I decided when I, when I began to have kids, I decided that my wife and I decided no one else was going to raise our kids so I would get up early and there were no devotions. And he has like tons of devotional books. He said, I decided that I would do a devotional with my family every day. And he had gotten older then. I think he was 57 at the time of the recording. He said, it's a, it's a joy to hear my son quote me in the things that I taught him at eight years old. This is a guy who changed the world. A guy who spoke to presidents, heads of nations would stand before political leaders. Why? It wasn't by accident. He had God's hand. Obviously, God's hand was on his life. I don't think anyone would deny that. But he was, he was make. and he also said this. He said, when I was 18, I got in this popular, very popular music thing that was touring all across Bermuda, or uh, the Bahamas. Do you know people would actually just visit the Bahamas just to go to his church and to get a nice vacation? Not a bad deal, right? Hear Miles and... Go to the Bahamas, not bad. Atlantis and miles. That's a good vacation. But he said, when I was 18, he said, I was in this very popular group. We'd, we'd have just big crowds. And in these big crowds, he said, there were young, young women who would throw themselves at me. He goes, so any woman, that, any girl that did that, he goes, I would stay away. He goes, because I knew what God told me about my life. See, you make choices according to the purpose of God on your life. He said, I can proudly say, I married a virgin. Because I've never slept with any other woman. He goes, there ain't no woman, he's a you know, funny guy. Ain't no woman in the Bahamas that I could knock her up. I ain't touched no other woman. I ain't look at no other woman. A few years before he died, in the Bahamas... I was watching the the, the recording of this. There was a man who stood up in the the parliament of the Bahamas. He said, after all these years, I can finally, it was was a gay man, he said, I can stand up and say, you know, what I fought for is going to happen in this nation. And he's on the TV. He says, you look at here, man. He He goes, we have a constitution. And this is our nation too. And we will not stand for this. There's a man not afraid of dying. There's a man who they listen to. It wasn't, wasn't unintentional. This guy made a, some certain decisions at a very young age of his life of what he's going to do. Change the world. I mean, we're still, I'm still listening to his stuff. I said, what brilliance comes out of this man? So see, the, the DNA of the earth is corrupt and the DNA of man is corrupt, but God still has a plan. In the Old Testament, now also look at the biblical pattern here of how God operates. He starts with the man and, then he, and a woman to be his ambassadors in the earth. He tells them to multiply. They don't fulfill, but he finds a man called Abram. Later calls him Abraham, but this is what he says when he makes covenant with him. Genesis 12, verse 3. Very famous passage of scripture. Notice too that God changed his name. Goes from Abraham to honored father to Abraham, which is the father of nations. Also, he's a type and shadow of of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. But notice this. Notice, Notice, too, that the blessing of the Lord is reinstituted, but it's for this purpose. So all the families of the earth will be blessed. He read here, it's in Genesis 26. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of the heaven. I will give to your descendants all the lands and in your seed, in your seed. So what's the purpose of covenant with Abraham? What's the purpose of the blessing of Abraham? So all the earth. God is still, he was still after all the earth. He wasn't just after spiritual conversion. He was after all the earth. In your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Notice too, it's also again a type and shadow of salvation. The nation of Israel would not be the largest nation, most gifted nation, but a nation in which if they serve God with all their heart, all their soul, all their mind, what was the purpose of Israel? The purpose of Israel, covenant with them. He teaches them every area of life. Listen, God is not wasting his time. Even in Leviticus, I mean, God's kind of funny. He says, hey, if you poop out in the desert, make sure you cover it up. It's kind of funny, but it makes sense. You, 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 you cover it up, no germs, no sickness, no disease. In giving the law to the nation of Israel and extensive exceptions how to operate in life, they were to be a nation that represent, that when, when people saw Israel, God's purpose is when they saw Israel was, oh my gosh, they're different than us. Who is the God that they serve? 430 years, people had grown from a tribe of 70 people to more than 3 million people. We know they're they're under Egypt. You'll you'll see from throughout history, the, the Jewish people have been constantly tried to be oppressed. I know, some people will tell you there's nothing special about them. Apparently, the devil thinks something special about them. <laughs> the devil thinks something special about them, but some theologians don't. But that's a different subject. But, but what's very interesting that happens is they go 300 years into slave labor. They're poor. They have no schools, no government, no economy, no land. Within 300 years, God reverses all of that and fulfills Every promise he gave him. That's what he tells him in Exodus. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and, and keep my covenant, then you will be a special treasure to me above all people. Then he emphasizes it again. For all the earth is mine. And you shall be, here it is, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Why am I reiterating? Because God was not after a religion. God was after a kingdom. And these are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. This is what, what the psalmist says about how he brought them out. He also brought them out with silver and gold. Listen, this is the most depressed people on the face of the earth. And when he takes them out of Egypt, I know in a quick survey of all this. When he takes them out of Egypt, they leave prosperous and no one's sick. There was no feeble among them. Here's what he says in Deuteronomy 14, verse 2. For you are a holy people to the Lord, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the people who are on the face of the earth. He built a great nation. They had just laws, were economically superior, and their architecture and their crafts were brilliant. By the way, as a side note, historically... No great inventions have come out of predominantly Muslim nations. In fact, most of them are hellholes to live in. Because when you serve the devil, it looks like hell. Glad I got that off my chest. No, it's true. So it's a lie. Like, oh, some of those brilliant things have come out of... No, they haven't. The most brilliant things came out of Judeo-Christian nations. I don't know why I said that, but I just felt honored for a minute. In what is considered a renaissance period in Israel's history. And obviously, Israel did not fully fulfill what God intended through. This is what happens when the Queen of Sheba comes to Solomon. First Kings 10, verse 6 and 7. Then she said to him, It was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe the words until I came and saw with my own ideas. Indeed, the half was not told. Your wisdom and prosperity exceed the fame of which I heard. Israel was so prosperous under the reign of Solomon, by the way, he taxed heavily, like he believed in taxing way more than Bernie. But he had so much gold he didn't even bother to count the silver. What's the point? The point is that God was after making the earth look like heaven and prosperity was an outward sign that people were in right relationship with him. They don't fully fulfill what God intends, but Jesus is a king that came to restore the kingdom of God on the earth. The reason that Jesus is so important is this, is because he comes... He comes as God's divine design to represent everything that God intended for Adam. Micah 5.2 says this, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephraim, through you, you are, your little among the, uh, you are your little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel. Isaiah 9, probably familiar to a lot of us in here. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government, that's really, really important. And the government will be upon his shoulder. Because the government represents dominion, a form, and a system of rule by which one is continually governed. That's that's the reason when he comes, he 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 doesn't just say, I am the way. He said, I'm the way, the truth. And the life. And then he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The focus of his teaching is this kingdom. It's very. Uh, let's define the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is, the, is simply the rule and the reign of God. The secondary definition that is really important is this. It's God's way of doing things. So when you get born again, you don't just get a new nature, you get a whole new way of living. That's why it's good news. The kingdom of God is good news. Here's how Jesus put it. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to send uh, to set, he sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed against him, and he began to say, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The reason this is so important is this is because he's, he's telling his message, but also there was a place in that synagogue, a seat that no one ever sat in. It was reserved for the coming Messiah. And he opens it up, and that was not the scripture they were reading that day. He opens it up, and he sits in the seat reserved for the Messiah. And basically he goes, I'm the guy. Part of the reason that kingdom message was so offensive was this. And I was reading this in the Gospels, uh, I think yesterday morning. You'll see when they talk about him, they're like, if he's king, we're losing power. His kingdom came and in that place was going to, if he was really the king, it was going to blow up all the religious system of that pharisaical system. You'll also notice, what's really interesting too, is before Jesus goes to the cross, he is brought in by a ruling religious community. When he stands in front of that religious community, he says nothing. He doesn't say anything. They're like, aren't you going to explain yourself? He doesn't say anything. And then he stands in front of Pilate. And Pilate goes, are you a king? And then he starts talking because he realizes this man actually has identified who he really is. So I'm emphasizing that because of this. It's really, really important that we know that Jesus did not come to establish another religion. He came to establish the kingdom of God. That's what I hope to explore, but I want to land the plane here with this. I hope to explore that whole lot more tomorrow. But here is what's absolutely really, really important to understand. In the kingdom of God... The, the kingdom of God, for you to understand the kingdom of God, for us to understand the kingdom of God, it demands complete surrender. In fact, the only deliverance from this world system is complete surrender. That's why James teaches us, a double-minded man can receive nothing from the Lord. Here's how Jesus put it. Look at... Um, John 6. Excuse me, not John 6, Matthew 6. Matthew 6, verse 25. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. 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 life. Why? Because the kingdom's here. What will you eat or what will you drink? Nor about your body or what will you put on. I believe worry is one of the most accepted sins among the people of God. In fact, the longer I work with people, I've come to the conclusion that some people would not know what to do if they didn't have drama in their life. Is not life more than food and body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit of... to his stature so why do you worry about clothing notice also in another place uh, or no, I just want to point this out that in another part which is really fascinating is Jesus goes hey I know everything that you need he goes but ask that's a really key part of the kingdom we'll talk about that in a minute but he actually goes I know everything that you need but I also want you to ask Talk about that in a minute. Look at the birds of the air. They neither, uh, I've already read that. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I say that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today and tomorrow and thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, oh you of little faith? So we're going to touch on two things there. There he says, therefore do not worry What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Then he tells us, but seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things... And sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So two things I want to point out to you. You cannot understand the kingdom of God. I know this is really simple, but it it bears repeating. You cannot understand the kingdom of God without complete surrender. It's a decisive daily choice that after now 20 years of trying to live this out, I, I I find myself writing it in my journal almost every day. God. With your help, I will seek you. With your help. And here's the thing. This is all he's really good. Everything he's ever asked you to do, he's given you the power to do. Everything that we do for God first came to us as a gift from God. Like, that's why everything we do is worship. He's like... Ebner, I want you to do this. Oh, that's impossible. No, 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 just take a step forward. Ooh, Ooh, good, never done that before. Ooh, oh, thank you, Jesus, you gave me all the power. He goes, I know, but I'm gonna gonna reward you for doing what I asked you to do. It's a really good kingdom. If you think something's impossible, we'll talk about this more, just start changing what you're saying. Everything he's asked you to do, he's given you the power to do. So he points to two things. I make it almost every, Lord, and this is where it gets a whole lot of fun, too. Lord, I'll do anything you want. Really? you really do anything you want? Well, yes. Big part. We might open up but Part of walking with the Lord, we have to discover this, is we, part of belief system, that's why I touched on it so strong, is we've been preconditioned to think certain ways. And so now that we come into the kingdom, we have to totally relearn to think. And that's where it gets a whole lot of fun. But you got to make it, you've got to make a decision. And I tell uh, um Spouses and families make a decision. We're going to live by the voice of God. We're going to live by Scripture, We're going to do everything that God asks us to do. And then get ready to be gumby. Do you know what? It's a whole lot, I, what I've learned this too, it's really a lot easier to not believe God for anything. You know what though? When you don't believe God for anything, you don't get anything. So, look at this. This is where it gets really, really good. Look at Luke 17. It also goes, you'll, you'll notice these patterns when you look at this in Scripture. You'll notice these patterns of internal realities that Jesus spoke about. Now, when he, when he asked by his Pharisees when the kingdom of God, when, when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God, so that's why it says, seek the kingdom of God, because the kingdom of God is in you. Now, this is where it gets fun. Before the world began, he had a very specific purpose for your life. Now, this is where the kingdom of God runs contrary to American culture. Because in American culture, most kids are taught what? You can be anything you want. Wrong. 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 No, you can be anything that the commander tells you to be. You've got a big problem. We got people in ministry who shouldn't be in ministry. We got people in the marketplace who should be in ministry. Why is it so important that you connect with purpose? Purpose, it, here's also a really big part purpose is a human need. We, we have to speak purpose to this world. The world doesn't care about our shofar our oil, our shout, because it doesn't mean anything to them. They're not waiting to fly away. They're waiting to find purpose for this world. That was the reason Jesus was so encompassing when he came to this world, because he spoke to people's purpose. He told that poor person, you can be something. He told that disciple, you can be something. He met the human need of purpose. But here's what God did. Everything that you would ever, ever need, he took care of before the foundation of the world. He took care of all the money you would ever need, all the relationships you would ever need, the house you should live in, this, that, the favor, the relationships, everything you would ever need, he's already taken care of. And then he says the kingdom of God is on the inside of you. So everything that you need all the money you would need, all the relationships you would need, it's all right inside. So when you seek that kingdom, he does what we call revealed knowledge. He begins to speak. He begins to tell you, this is how you're going to walk this out. This is how you're going to execute this. Because it's all right there on the inside of you. You're like, I never heard that. How do I connect with that? It's this thing that he just touched on, this thing called faith. Look at Hebrews 11. Land the plane here in a minute. Now faith is the substance. That word substance is the under... Well, I'm going to give you the definition. I have it somewhere. I'll give it to you. Faith is the ultimate... Excuse me. Substance is the ultimate reality that underlines all outward manifestation and change. So your ability to receive what God has for you to change your outside world is on the inside of you called the kingdom of God. This gift that is not on your own, according to Mark 11, this gift called faith connects you to those resources. Glad you said amen. It's still true anyway. Faith, that's why he says, why do you have such little faith? I want you to trust me for these things the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtain a good testimony. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen are not made of things which are visible. Look at verse six. While faith, it's impossible to please it. So it goes back to Genesis one. The kingdom of God is on the inside of you. Here's also what you need to realize that's really, 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 really important. You have a body You have a soul, but you are a spirit. You don't have a spirit, you are a spirit. That's why when your spirit leaves your body, you have to leave the earth. That's why demons look for bodies to live in. But your spirit is going to live forever. How are we going to know each other? We'll recognize each other by the spirit. A lot of people say body, soul, and spirit because they're very body focused. But it's your spirit that gets to control everything. So you're an inside-out person, and the kingdom of God is on the inside of you. It's like standing in front of this huge house, and it has all the answers for your life. It has all the provision. He, he, it's like the key to unlock. How do, I lock, how do I unlock the favor for relationship? It's in that house. How do I unlock the money that I need for my ministry? It's in that house. How do I unlock this? How do I unlock direction? It's all in that house. Good news. And then he goes, Well, how do I how do I how do I unlock it? Oh, it's this thing called faith. That's why you're a spirit that gets born again. And your spirit now needs to be re-educated. And it gives us this thing called faith that comes on the inside of you. That as you and we'll talk about how you develop your belief system, but as you develop your belief system what is on the inside of you begins to change the world on the outside of you. And it's not logical. It's not reasonable. It's totally outrageous, the life that God has for you. Look at... um, just want to show you this, then we will finish. Sorry, I'm looking between two different sets of notes here. Look at um, Luke, the fifth chapter. Luke 5. Luke 5, and then we'll look at Mark's 5, and we'll land the plane. Luke 5. Luke 5, verse 17. Now, a certain, now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching, there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by him who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judah, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal him. Behold, men brought, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring and lay before him. And when they could not find how he might bring, it, bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on a housetop and let him down with his bed from the, top, from the, from the tiling in the midst before Jesus. Now that's good friends. You want friends to go, no, you gotta go do it. Now, uh, look at verse 20. This is what I wouldn't really look at. When he saw their faith. How does Jesus see faith? Obviously, they're doing something physical that's, you know, they're not stopping. They definitely weren't Americans. Like, and eh, the meeting's full, let's, let's go to Denny's. Couldn't get into the meeting. I mean, I remember the Brownsville revival where people would, all night, I mean, the meeting would be over and they line up again. To get into the meeting that night. He says, when he saw their faith. What happened? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. They have no sign on them that says, hey, we're walking in faith. It's on the inside. That faith is the substance, it's causing the unseen realm to operate on their behalf. It's reaching into eternity, it's trusting the Godhead, and the Godhead who changes things in the seen realm goes, yep, they got faith to be healed, let's switch things around. Jesus sees it, connects with it when he saw their faith. Their belief system about the situation changed the situation for their friend. One more place we'll look at. Look at Mark, the fifth chapter. Mark 5, verse 21. We'll land the plane with this. Have you got something out of this tonight? Now when Jesus had crossed over again by the boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet, and he begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter dies at the point of death, Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. So Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. You know what that word throng means? To be present in a place. That's what I mean. I don't want to be present in a place. I want to be touching Jesus. I don't want to just be around him. I want to receive everything he has. Notice too here, multitude, most people think it's at least 2,000 people. In this crowd, I want to suggest to you that there are people there with needs. There are people there, got kids, not doing the right thing. People there, depressed, sick, everything. One man is setting Jesus' agenda. This guy called Jairus, my daughter's dying. Okay, I will come and heal him. What's very fascinating about this is everyone follows to see what Jesus will do, but no one goes, hey! My cousin's brother, sister aunt got cancer. Come and heal her. They're all content watching Jesus do stuff, not receive. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Sorry. Now a certain woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years and suffered many things from many physicians, when she had spent all that she had, it was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, some translations there say, for she said within herself. It's on, it's, it's what, it's, it is what is on the inside that changes what's on the outside. If only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well immediately the fountain of the blood was dried up and she leapt and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And when Jesus, immediately knowing in himself the power had gone out, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched me? Now his disciples asking him this is just fascinating. But the disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you and you say, who touched me? Because again, all they're seeing is people touched him. What is changing the situation is the touch of faith, the belief system. And he looked around and he said, who had done this thing? But the woman said, the woman fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and she told him the whole truth. And he said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Notice that too, verse 33 is kind of funny because she... I think he, Mark describes it because she told she had some stories to tell basically. At her, you know, you know, like, yeah, Jesus, I'm going. I, you know, I went to John Hopkins, then I went to UAB. It was like they took all my money and Blue Cross. You know, they screwed me. You know, and but you heal me, Jesus. And Jairus is probably going. My daughter's dying, but he'd already said he would heal her. While still speaking, some came from the ruler's synagogue house who said your daughter is dead why trouble the teacher any further but as as soon as Jesus heard that the word is spoken he said to the ruler of the synagogue do not be afraid only believe now we know the rest of the story but I I want to point out something to you here Jesus is fully God fully man notice his response is not changed by the report that he's given he already knows what his father in heaven told him to do you're going to heal that girl why? How do we know that? He said, "I only do, and I only say what I've heard my father say, and I've only do what he told me to do." So even though that evil, he's fully God, fully man, but he's operating as a man in right relationship with God. Right here, he hasn't. Oh, well. Well, I know I said that, but I didn't know she's gonna die. It didn't change. What's happening? His belief system is defining his world. We know what happens. Also, he tells all the members of the church, the Sabbath version, to leave. And he brings in people of faith with him. I'm convinced that even though Peter had his issues, Peter was like, I know you're going to do it, Jesus. I'm in agreement. She's dead. She's not like Hollywood dead. She's dead dead. But Jesus' belief that he was supposed to raise her from the dead becomes a substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. And the unseen realm transfers into the seen realm and changes reality that day. We have to Learn how to, and nobody's arrived, nobody's perfected. Do thoughts of fear, do, do we have challenges, all that stuff. I'm not diminishing all that stuff. But I am saying, you and God are a majority in your situation. You have the power to change the world that you're in. In you're not a victim of the world that you're in. You're not a victim of sickness. You're not a vi- victim of poverty. You're not a victim of anything. Either the gospel's true or it's not. Receive this word tonight. Part two is in the morning. If you receive it, just lift your hands. The Lord says that in this region, the Lord says I'm looking for people who will walk by faith and not by sight. I'm looking for people who would look from heaven towards earth to see reality as I intended to be. And from a place of seeing reality as I intended to be, they will speak the words of God. They would declare the works of God in the earth and they will see a change. And the Lord would say, the ground in this region is rumbling. It's rumbling, it's rumbling, it's rumbling, it's rumbling with purpose. It's rumbling for the things of God. It it is rumbling. And the Lord says, I am looking for a people who will capture what heaven is saying, not once, not twice, but all the days of their life, so that heaven would be established on earth as never before. I've seen this picture of like the throne of God just coming and resting upon the city of Birmingham. And as it rests upon the city of Birmingham, it's like the, 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 the glory of the Lord goes through the whole state, goes up the north and the south and the east and the west. And the Lord says that you live in strategic times. You truly live in historic times and historic seasons, says the Lord. The Lord says you've been put in the earth for such a time as this. Just lift your hands. There's like un, an unlocking tonight of your dream life as never before. And I believe even tonight, three of you will dream as never before. Freedom point. It's not just the name you've picked out of air. It's actually your identity to be a point of freedom. Freedom in people's minds. Freedom in people's ears. Freedom in people's hearts. Freedom in worship. I see like like painters just painting things and releasing beautiful expressions. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And I see these angels waiting on assignment. They're actually waiting for the people of God to capture the word of the Lord. They're actually waiting. They're waiting to hear. They're waiting to move. And the Lord says, I have not left you orphans. I'm with you. I'm in you. And I'm for you. Thank you, Lord. 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 Let it be according to your word, Lord. Uh, someone tonight, you have like a pain in your right shoulder, the Lord heals you. Elbow, something with like somebody's right elbow if you've had like pain or tightness, the Lord just frees you. Just release freedom to you in Jesus' name. Right knee be healed in Jesus' name. Mahashaka baka. Why don't you just take a moment? I know we've gone a while, but just take a moment, just lightly put your hand in the person next to you and just just release a blessing. Just pray for their destiny. Pray for things, the unseen realm. Teach them how to cooperate with that unseen realm. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Mandara Shakabaya. Amen, amen, amen. Just before we uh, close tonight, just want to receive an offering. And like I say,